Hello, and welcome to Living Stones, a podcast of conversations with the people of Red Mountain Community Church, highlighting the victories and struggles, the snapshots and stories of the people sitting right next to you on Sunday morning. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions and your fellow seat warmer at Red Mountain Community Church. My co-host today is Becky Bibelheimer, our pastor of children's ministry, or as I think of her, the pastor I know the least but am most curious about. Thank you very much for doing this with me, Becky. You are welcome. Um, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but you know, as a general focus, we are interviewing members of the church on this podcast rather than staff or elders, but I want you to know that I have you mentally targeted as one of the exceptions that I would really like to interview someday on this show. I mean, without spoiling anything, you've had some unique experiences that make it easy to believe that you are tough enough now to be around swarms of other people's children on a regular basis. <laughs> it was I, training. Yeah, so I, I thank you and, and tip my hat to you for that. It's very impressive on its own. Um, one thing I, I always like to ask... Uh, the pastors that co-host with me, is it's kind of a two-part question. What is the most fun or natural part of your job, maybe that plays to your wiring or your strengths or whatever, the most fun or natural part? And then what's the most challenging part? Hmm. Well, the fun, the most fun is just being with the kids. Wow. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah, That's a just, gift. Uh, That's beautiful. Just hanging out with them, having fun with them, seeing them laugh hmm. and... Uh, just learn. I, I'm so incredibly fueled by seeing a kid get something mm. and learn or be transformed. Yeah. So that's that's the fun and natural part. And I work with a great team, so it's incredibly life giving to to hang out with the the team that I work with as well. That's cool. And then the the part that is maybe a little bit more challenging. Recruiting is a part of children's ministry. It's mm. just built into the DNA. Mm. Um, sometimes you sort of get the feeling like people are going to steer to the left or the right when they see you coming. <laughs> you don't want to be that person that's... Was I that obvious? <laughs> <laughs> that's so annoying, like, oh no, let's not get into a conversation with her. She's going to ask me to serve somewhere. <laughs> so I don't mind recruiting. I want to invite people into the spiritual transformation that can occur in their lives when they do serve. Mm. And I'm passionate about kids knowing Jesus. So so it's not difficult from that standpoint, but it's just, you don't want to, I don't want to be a nag. Oh, I don't sure. want to be a pain. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, so here's a just a weird kind of fantasy hypothetical question. If you could have another skill set or talent that you don't currently have and had to choose another career, okay, you couldn't, it's not that this is necessarily something you want and you, you know, that's better than what you have in there. You don't, this, your current work is not an option mm -hmm. and you could have another skill set or talent that you don't currently have that you'd be successful enough to support yourself in, mm -hmm. what would you choose, do you think? Oh, I definitely have a restaurant. Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. Why? Yes. I love cooking. Okay. And it's just, I, I just think of restaurant names. Sometimes when I'm driving along, what would be a good one? Mm. This week, I've been particularly thinking about soft serve ice cream. Oh, dang. What would I call a soft serve ice cream store? Mm. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I don't know either. I haven't come up with a good one, but wow. yeah, definitely a restaurant. Oh, that's... restaurant restaurant owner. Now you're going to have me thinking about soft serve ice cream. There you go. I'm trying to get away from some things. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would, um, if I had like a better memory, um, especially that would be the main thing I would want. Um, 
and more discipline. I think I would want to be a teacher or like a professor at a Bible college. I love teaching from mm-hmm. the Word and seeing, kind of like you commented on seeing kids' light bulbs go on. I love seeing light bulbs go on for mm-hmm. other people, and I love learning and then sharing what I've mm-hmm. learned. Or I would want to be some kind of an entertainment psychologist, because I'm really interested in why people gravitate towards certain types of entertainment, what it fulfills in them or what they want it to fulfill in them and and how, and then bringing um, the word into that, I think there's a connection between the things we pursue in entertainment and how we are made. And in some ways, what we pursue in entertainment, I think can be a foreshadow of God's eternal kingdom that's mm. coming, you know, and can be an indication of this thing that, yes, we are meant to to have this, you know, but right now we're just coming up with these lame approximations in the form of our entertainment. So I think there's just a interesting stuff to explore there. See, anyway. that's way more lofty than uh, running a restaurant. Well, <laughs> I think yours would be much more enjoyable to participate in than hearing me blab about whatever in these topics would mm-hmm. be. So. <laughs> All right. Well, earlier today, uh, Becky and I spent some time talking with Brian and Kimberly Moody, who have experienced uh, the kind of difficulty and loss that every parent fears and come out uh, on the other side of that, I think, with some unique perspectives that uh, have come out of their experience that they shared with us, thankfully. So here's that conversation right now. Well, Brian and Kimberly, thanks for doing this. Do you go by Kimberly? Kim. Kim, okay. Yeah, All right. Kimmy or... Okay. And Brian, do you go by Brian? I go by Brian. Okay. All right. <laughs> Um, So there's a lot really to dive into here with the story you guys are going to be sharing with us. Um, Just to first get kind of a sense of where you guys are coming from and, you know, where you've been in life. How how long have each of you been believers? Um, I accepted Jesus when I was eight years old. Okay. Um, And I just, at a young age, I realized... I, I wanted someone to always be by my side and to always be there. And so I remember at eight, the pastor had an altar call, and I just am like, yes, I want Jesus. Mm. Like, if that means he, I'm never going to be alone, then yes, that's what I want. And then I was baptized shortly after that. Mm. So I, I've had a passion for Jesus and kept that childlike faith up until now. So I still have this just childlike faith, which sometimes can be good, but sometimes I think is... I want to dig deeper, but mm. it's just so pure. Mm. Brian? Yeah, so I grew up in the church. Okay. Um, my, my parents, as far as I know, have, all their life have been Christian. My grandparents, I don't know how far back it goes. Um, so I grew up in going to church. And um, so it, it, I, don't, I don't know when I necessarily gave my life to Christ, um, but I... Uh, Never really f- fell away from church. Okay. Um, starting in college, started to develop the faith of my own instead of my parents. And mm. so that's just grown uh, over the years. I feel like I've just continued to mature in my belief, uh, in my faith. And so all the, my entire life, basically. How would you... One thing I noticed, uh, as I'm sure a lot of parents do, is like once you uh, ha- have your first child, that's when, you know, your perspective on some things and, and on your faith can really start to change, you know? And so I'm curious, how would you guys each describe just your faith? I know it's a really broad question, so however you want to take this question. Yeah. Um, how would you describe your faith before you 
uh, had any children? Well, I think it was, it was very, um, I knew a lot. I, I went to Sunday school my whole life. I knew the Bible. I knew the stories. So I had all this knowledge, but I never really put it into use. And so like here I was, um, a, stu- a student, and I think we talked about this at some point in our life, is you're going to school, you know, and so you never actually use those applications and tools. And so life was good and life was difficult, but it was pretty easy and blessed. Mm. And so I never had a, a chance to put that faith into really practice and mm. actually have to pull and draw on those things. So I would say just, I was like a student all those years, you know, and then finally when I had a kid and especially Amelia, I'm like, whoa, okay. So Jesus, you remember when you said you're never going to leave me? Mm. Okay. I'm expecting that now. Mm. Oh, and you said you were going to give me strength when I needed it. Okay. Kind of need that again. Mm. So for the first time I was really clinging to him and actually needing Christ. And before I always did, and I always served him with a pure heart, but I never actually needed him, Mm. you know, and that sounds shallow, but it's not like my heart was where, for the most part, where it should be, but that drew it out. Yeah. I, um, I don't, I wouldn't say that my faith really changed, uh, having, having kids. Um, I, I pay attention to little nuggets and things that people say. And so I kind of take that, okay, that must mean X, Y, Z when that time comes. And so I don't think that I necessarily, my faith changed. I think what changed was that instead of me saying, well, I think this is the way things go or the way things work, or I think I understand that, now that I have kids and raising them, I can say, oh, I know what that means now. Yeah. yeah. Right? I, <laughs> You've been I, in the laboratory. Right. Not just, not just taking the written exam. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> the book knowledge has become actual knowledge, yeah, yeah. right? Uh-huh. So. Uh, I know what it what it means to walk through the door and and have your your son or daughter run into your arms so excited to see you and it's like they haven't seen you in a million years their <laughs> entire lifetime and you're coming back home to them after like an eight hour day of work. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I know some of those some of those experiences. They're more than book. It's more than book knowledge now. It's it's real knowledge on it. But I I don't think that my faith has necessarily changed. Um, my belief in Jesus, my um, understanding as the re- as a result of being a, a father now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of other reasons why it's changed, but not yeah. from being a father now. Okay. Um, now, you guys, as parents, have been through uh, the stuff of nightmares totally. for, for parents. Um, and that started with your first child. So whichever one of you wants to kind of start chiming in first, I'd like to hear kind of what what happened uh, with your first child? So our first child is um, our first child was Amelia, a little girl. Uh, we found out that uh, Amelia would be born with a heart defect during around our twenty twenty two week ultrasound time period. Um, <clears throat> Kim and I were both at the OB and uh, having uh, going through the ultrasound, and the sonographer kind of said, "Well, I'm not getting a good picture." So we're going to have you come back. And of course, as parents, we're like, we get more pictures. This is hmm. great. We get more pictures. So we came back and she kind of said the same thing. Well, she's on her, she's laying on her, on her back. Her back is up. And so I'm not getting a good picture of her heart. And so we'd like you to come back again. And we're like, great, more, more pictures. This is great. <laughs> um, 
And then I think Kim got a phone call after the third visit. She said, well, I've got the pictures that I need. And so Kim got a phone call. Um, one of those phone calls from a doctor where it's not like we need you to come back in. When's a good time? I think the phone call was, we've scheduled a point, an appointment for you and we're going to see you tomorrow, mm. which is a scary appointment, scary message to get because uh -huh. like I said, usually can we see you at your convenience as opposed to we need to see you tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so we were a little worried. Um, and then I think she got a follow-up phone call for a maternal fetal medicine specialist, which is basically a doctor that uh, deals with uh, unborn children before they're born okay. in the womb. Uh, and that, again, was we've scheduled an appointment and you, we'll see you in a couple of days. So mm -hmm. that was pretty scary. Uh, went back into the OB office and we found out that she was going to be born with a condition called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. It's a condition where uh, half of her heart does not develop. So we have four pumping chambers. Mm. She only had two of those pumping chambers. The other two just didn't develop. Uh, it's just a chance coincidence. Uh, no genetic, no, they don't know what causes it. Just pure coincidence that that, that happened for us. So we went back and visited the... Um, had the follow-on with the maternal fetal medicine specialist. And after a very in-depth ultrasound uh, and some reading of that ultrasound, they, they confirmed the diagnosis. And then we started to have consultations with uh, the pediatric cardiology group at PCH where they started to talk about, okay, this is, this is what your daughter has. Um, these are, this is what is, it's going to look like for the next several months while you're in, while you're continuing to be pregnant and the baby is developing. This is what it will look like for labor and delivery. This is what it will look like for the first couple of weeks after birth. Um, we have our treatment plan. This is what our treatment plan is. Uh, the treatment plan for her condition was a series of three surgeries. The first at three or four days of age. Uh, mm -hmm. The second at um, between the estimate was three to six months. And then the third would be at somewhere between three and five years. Mm. And that first surgery was just to make it so that she lived and had a chance to develop to get to the second surgery. Okay. The process was, a, I describe it as they were doing a series of replumbing her veins and arteries around her heart. Wow. Um, the first surgery was to get to the second surgery, so allow some development of her organs, mostly her lungs, so that then when they did the second surgery, which was actually the process to start to um, repair and provide a path for life, uh, that her lungs would be able to um, handle the workload that was going to be dumped onto, onto her lungs. Mm. And then the third surgery would be to finish it, so they do half of it half of it on the second surgery, the other half on the third surgery. Well, I'm curious, what in during all this time, I mean, obviously when you hear heart defect, you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is, uh, this is life-threatening potentially. But what, what was your sense of, that you were getting from the doctors about how serious this was and the risk factor and, and that, that sort of thing? What were they telling you? Well, I think we, 
So the initial scare was that we weren't having a healthy baby. And that was terrifying. Yeah. So just dealing with that. And then where's our faith in that? You Mm -hmm. know, where's our, how are we going to hang on to God if something goes wrong? And so I remember there was a season right, right when we found out that she was going to be sick. And right when we found out that at five days old, she's going to have her first open heart surgery. I said to Brian, I said, and I'll be honest and real. I said, should we, should we cancel my shower? Is she going to even live mm. to that point? Like, is she going to make it? And he looked at me and it was a, a, a dark couple of days for me because I was very scared. And Brian looked at me and he said, who are you? Mm. What are you, who are you, Kimmy? What's wrong? And he was a little bit firmer than that, which was good because I needed him to be. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know. I said, I didn't realize that I you kind of sometimes go to a dark place. Mm. And I always had Jesus close, but I let myself feel what hopelessness felt like. Mm. And it felt dark. And I lost a little sense of hope in trusting that God was going to take care of her. So I said, I said, you're right, Brian. And I got on my knees and I said, all right, we're going to do this. We are going to speak life into this child. We are going to pray for her. We're going to trust that when she's born, she's going to be healed. Like that was our prayer was that she was going to show up and she was going to blow all the doctor's minds and she was going to be healed. And we made an agreement to each other and to Jesus saying, you know what? We're going to choose you, Jesus. We're going to trust you. We're going to trust you with her life. And she was born. She wasn't healed. But we still said, it's okay. And, And Brian said one thing to me within that time frame. And he's, and I said, what happens if she does die, Brian? What are we going to do? And he said, Kimmy, God is God, no matter if she lives or if she dies. He is high on the throne. That is not going to determine what happens in our faith. She belongs to God anyway. And if we get to raise her and keep her for any amount of time, then that's a gift. But God is still God, no matter what. And I thought, okay, So that was our anthem, you know, like, God, you're God, no matter what happens, no matter what tomorrow brings, you are still God. So that shook my faith and made me really desperate for God because I was scared and I didn't know what to do. So is there anything to add on that? No, the doctor, um, yeah, the the doctors, though, gave us uh, basically she without treatment there was there was nothing she would die Mm -hmm. Um, it's just a matter of time and that's the physiology of the heart and what Um, were they saying about like the success rate for the treatment so yeah the success success rate varies um the first one was only like 75 percent. the first one was the scariest one because they're little and small so the first surgery i think was around 75 75, percent if she makes it she'll survive the first surgery and goes home there's a getting home is 75%. Yeah. Um, from there, from there, the, the chances got much better. Okay. Um, that she would, it was like 95% of the kids that made it past the first stage would get to the second stage and like 99% who made it past the second stage would get to the third stage. And for the most part, if you made it past the third stage, then you're good to go. Yeah. Her future Um, was bright at that point, you know, like it was scary at first, but the doctors assured us that that her future's bright. We know what we're doing. She's not the only one born like this. There's quite a few babies. You have an entire medical support team that's mm. that's involved. We'll be here for you. We've we've got everything under control. We've we got know plan what's going A. On. We've got plan B. Yeah. We've got plan C. If plan C doesn't work out, oh wait, we've got plan D over here. So yeah. they assured us that they 
that they knew what they were doing. So yeah. we had confidence there, and we also had confidence knowing that God was giving us the right doctors and the nurses and was equipping them and strengthening us for this journey, and he did. <laughs> now, Brian, I know that like sometimes when uh, Holly and I are, are going through something and one of us is being affected by, or maybe we're both being affected by something that uh, is stressful and that seems like a, a big deal at the time, that usually one of us will kind of hold it together and be the the the, the strength for the other. Um, but then that can turn around, like sometimes I'll be the strength for her because I know I need to be, and so in the moment I am. But then when we separate and I have a quiet moment, sometime driving or whatever randomly, then I experience my weakness. Did, did what Kim described of, of how uh, you were um, being the strength for her, did that also describe the content of your heart at the time or where it stayed after that? I mean, how would you describe what was going on inside of you during that time? Yeah, uh, like I said earlier, you know, I've, I, I captured little nuggets um, just as I hear people talk or, or situations or radio shows or whatever it happens to be. And um, to, to what you were saying, I think one of the nuggets that I thought that I heard was uh, in terms of, of just a marriage and the, the statistics for divorce. And, you know, people, you come into marriage and you're like, well, we're going to come into marriage. I'll give 50%. You give 50%. We'll do what we need to do and mm. we'll survive and we'll make it. And, mm. I, and I'm sitting there listening to people talk about divorce and I'm like, well, what happens if I can't give 50% mm. at some point in time? And, or my wife can't give 50% in time. And I, so 50% is not what you need to give if, if that's what, if your goal is to make a marriage last. 50% is not what you need to give. So, mm. so my thought was, well, I'm going to, attempt to give 100% all the time, and Kim gives 100% all the time, and that means all the time we'll be meeting someplace, whether mm. whether she can make it 5% and I go the 95, or I can only go 5% and she goes the 95. But um, when we were going through premarital counseling, our, our pastor said something that, that I think was kind of, kind of spot on, which was, uh, I'm, I'm really steady. I don't, I don't really fluctuate in, in my life. That's the vibe. That's the vibe I get. I'm a a little bit envious of the temperament vibes I'm getting off of you, Brian. So just wait until you hear what I am. Yeah, you know, I and and I kind of looked at it. You know, we're we're sailing a ship, and we we leave the Long Beach Harbor, and we're headed to Beijing, China, and I've got Beijing, China in my sights. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, this is where we're going. Steady the ship. That's the direction we're going. Yeah. And and my vision for Kim on that is, she's we're like turning out of the harbor and she's running on one side of the boat. Look what's over here! And she runs <laughs> the other side. Look what's over here! Let's take a detour to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> There's some dolphins. Like yeah. yes, I'm I'm all over. Okay. And I still have Beijing <laughs> yeah. in mm, my sights. Yeah. So it works well in a marriage. It really does because we. I always tell Brian. I, you know, when we get sappy, which is not enough, but I always say you're everything that I'm not because he literally, God gave him everything that I'm weak in, he's Mm. strong in. Mm. And all the things that he struggles with or is weak in, those are all my strengths. Mm. And it's so cool that we get to, we drive each other crazy. Let me tell you, (laughs) we do in a good way. Crazy. (laughs) Crazy. However, we love well, and Mm. it's got such a cool connection. God is just really, it's crazy to think that that before time, God knew that we would be together 
and, and brought us together because he knew what we'd be going through. And so we needed, we needed that dynamic and each other's strengths to overcome what we've been through. So Kim was describing how right after diagnosis, she, she fell into a very dark hole. Um, and, I, and I was taking it going, okay, great. This is the situation we have. Let's go. Hmm. We got we got places we got place to go. We we know what we're doing. Um, we know what's happening. Um, I, I say that I think I'm fairly grounded in my faith. Have a fairly I think I have a fairly good understanding of of uh, what life is about. Not that I get it or am doing the right thing all the time, but I think I I think I get it. So. Um, when this diagnosis came, I was like, all right, well, we live in a sinful world. This is the results of a sinful world, and we have to deal with this junk. It's not, it's not fun. It's not, it's not exciting. It's not what you expected. It's not what you want. But okay, we'll deal with it, and we'll, we'll flow with the punches, and we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. And so, as Kim said, she was just she was just totally broken. Like, do we need, do we need to not, do we need to take, take our baby clothes back? Do we need yeah. to take the furniture mm. back? Um, <clears throat> when you're, you're emotional cause you're pregnant mm. and the enemy is just constantly lying to you, telling you that this is your fault. This baby's sick because you mm. had an extra coffee this day oh, or man. your baby's sick because you weren't exercising every day or whatever. You know, the enemy just really did a number on me. And I, for the first time I had my shield down and he, he didn't defeat me in any way, but he brought me down. And so Brian, his loving but harsh word is what pulled me through. And mm. God used him to just say, snap out of it. Like, mm. this is not what we're going to do. This child is going to be fought for. This child is going to be loved. We're going to speak life into this child and she's going to be okay. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's take a deep breath and keep going. But my analytical preparation mind started analyzing and preparing. Yes. Uh, okay. Okay, we got to figure out how we're going to do this and uh, how are we going to keep working and pay the bills? <laughs> are you one of these the Red more... Mountain engineers? Do you do <laughs> what kind of work do you do? <laughs> I, I probably should have been an engineer, yes. but I'm, his brain works I'm, like uh, one. My dad's an engineer and I probably think like an engineer. Okay. I probably I was too I was too crazy to go to school. I didn't want to <laughs> commit that co- make that commitment to no. take those math classes. Oh I, yeah, yeah. I don't have that kind of drive, but I probably should have been an engineer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was, I was just like, all right, let's go. These are the plans we got to do, and this mm-hmm. is how we got to deal with it. And um, how are we gonna? Who's gonna stay at school or stay at work? Uh, stay at the hospital? How are we gonna manage this stuff? You know, some of yeah. that type of stuff. And so I, it wasn't really a. It was just a okay. Let's deal with it and keep going. Let's let's. This is what we. This is what's in front of us. We got lemons. Let's make lemonade. So then did you, um, there, there was that first surgery where, which had a 75% success rate. And you said that as far as the treatment goes after that, they were projecting that it would get, uh, uh, more and more likely to have success after yeah. that. Is that what you experienced that like that first part was the scariest part? And then after that, it, uh, yeah. it eased off consistently? Definitely. For a while. Yeah. So we did, we had first surgery and, um, Amelia was born in downtown at, at St. Joe's, and she was transferred to PCH within 24 hours or so. The next day, we were at, at PCH, um, had the surgery scheduled. Uh, she did phenomenal. We were freaked out. Yeah, of course. <laughs> sure. Doctors knew what they were doing, and, and so we were there learning from the nurses and the doctors for how to care for her and what we needed to do. And, 
and um, how to treat her and what to pay attention to. Uh, I think we learned pretty quickly that buzzers are going off in the room and monitors are making noise and the nurse calmly walks in and we're like, okay, not a big deal. Um, buzzes are going off in the in the room. Five doctors are there, big deal. Hmm. So we learned quickly how to read Amelia and how to, how to um, care for her. So we, we came home and had a little scare because she had a, developed an infection. They did an incision in her chest and split her rib cage to get to her heart to be able to operate. Um, we came home, had a slight, a small infection. So we were back in the hospital for a couple weeks when she was six, six or seven or eight weeks old, something mm. like that. Um, regular monitoring visits with our cardiology team. Uh, and then during one of our visits, she, the cardiology team, she was just like a day before three months old. Cardiology said, all right, we're starting to see some stuff that's being, that concerns us. So we're going to go ahead and keep you guys here back into the hospital, uh, check you back in, and we'll go in for a second surgery. Didn't know when it was going to be planned, um, going to happen exactly, because they just kind of said, we'll find, a, op find an opening. Um, so we were back in the hospital, and then I think it was a Sunday night about 7.30. The nurse comes in and says, well, I just got a phone call. You're having surgery tomorrow morning. And we're like, okay. Whoa. <laughs> so there was, point, there was a cancel. And I felt like we were seasoned veterans, veterans at this point because I, we had already gone through that. That surgery felt like it was so much for us. Like we had been through so much and we had seen her come so far. And so we're like, oh, yeah, this is fine. Like mm. we got this, you know, and, and we were much more relaxed because we trusted the system. We trusted the doctors and the nurses and we knew, kind of knew what to expect. Okay. And this surgery wasn't as big of a deal as the first one. So we're like, we're, we're cool. And, and I think that having her alive and her thrive even through those surgeries was just comforting. And we were just really grateful and thankful. And so we were just always like, God, thank you for another day with her. It's just amazing. Mm. And so she had her third, second, second surgery, surgery and she did amazing. We went home, what, in five days? Yeah. They said, well, the fastest you'll go home is in is five days. And I think on the on the third day, they're like, well, we kind of have to keep you for two more days because that's protocol. That's, that's, how, how, that's how good she yeah. was doing. Oh, great. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, we went home on five, uh, after five days and had Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving, the end of the month, and mm -hmm. Christmas. And then, um, and then things started to change from there. Um, I remember one day that uh, I came home, and Kim was phenomenal during this whole thing. Uh, she was, like, she figured out how to do what she needed to do. Um, so she cared for Amelia. I went to work. <laughs> I cared for the bills. Yeah. Um, so she, she was on top of stuff and paying attention to stuff. She, we decided that she was going to be a stay-at-home mom um, for that. So um, <clears throat> Amelia or Kim was staying home with Amelia, and I came home in January and, and just said, hey, how's, how's Amelia doing today? And she said, well... I've noticed that she's um, she's been a little bit different. She said a couple things. She said she's a little more fussy. Um, she's uh, more she's, tired. she's more tired. She sleeps more, and she's starting to throw up a little bit more. Mm. You know, babies spit up and throw up a sure. lot, and and so I was like, okay, I I I didn't notice that stuff. I was at work all day, and so Kim noticed that, and I was like, okay. Um, we went in, I think it was a week later for our next cardiology appointment. We went in and, and they do their normal blood work. And, uh, our nurse practitioner came back and said, well, one of her, one of her lab works was elevated. One of her, one of her enzyme levels or something was elevated. 
We're like, okay, well, what does that mean? They said, well, it could mean something. It could mean nothing. So um, we're just going to pay attention and monitor it. Um, so we went went home and continued to care for Amelia and live life and um, came back a week or two later and had more lab work and it was still elevated. So we're like, well, what does that mean? They're like, well, we don't know. It could be something. It could be nothing. So mm-hmm. they scheduled a, a, a catheterization where they go in and measure pressures and function of the heart. Um, so we had that scheduled. We went in for that on February 11th, days you'll never forget in your life. Mm. Uh, February 11th, we went in for, for a heart cath, uh, and our doctor came out and said, well, we don't know what's wrong, but you're not going home. Mm. And we're like, oh. And, th- and then we had okay. an, another doctor that we've never met before come in and say, <laughs> Well, I think we're going to um, introduce you guys to the transplant team. And we say, what? what? Whoa. So we were like, like your stomach just drops to the floor and your heart does too. And so we're like, transplant? And then we're, and we didn't like this doctor. We're like, who are you? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. We don't know you. And so he just shows up and drops the T word, you know? And transplant was like option M Yeah, like mm. on they were, the treatment yes. paths, right? So, wow. so they had floated it like eight months earlier, but... We that never was thought like, that was her that was, journey. We'll talk about that if that if that gets there. And then all of a sudden we're transplanting. Oh, what do we do for that? So so then we started going through that that path. And you and get the nurse comes in and you get registered and they, you know, they do a full evaluation of your, your income and your house and your cars and, and all about us as people and then Amelia and then she gets put on the transplant list. And so we've heard people and especially children that wait years for a transplant of some sort. Mm. And so we were thinking, oh my goodness, what does this mean for us? And Amelia was now getting so sick and she just went, I mean, she went fast, Mm. just went downhill. And um, she then was required oxygen and required her heart wasn't squeezing very well. So she was on a lot of medicine to help her heart squeeze better. And um, she was so sick that she was, I think it's called a 1A. She was moved to the top of the list and we ended up terrified, but we waited 14 days. Yeah, about two or three weeks. Yeah, it was wow. 14 days, and we get a call saying, we think we have a potential heart for your daughter. And so then you're excited, but then you're like, you know what that, we know what that means. That means that there's another family somewhere that mm. lost their child, mm. but they made that sacrifice to donate their child's organs so that other children could live. Mm. So to think we were so excited to get her heart, but at the same time we were destroyed because we knew that our daughter living meant that some other child wasn't and that just shook our world and so we prayed so much for that family and but Amelia it was crazy she the heart came they came on an airplane um it came in a cooler they walk in the front door of Phoenix Children's Hospital um with a little with, igloo in a styrofoam cooler, cooler. Like an actual cooler. <laughs> right through the front door. They walk up. They bring it in. Amelia's already in on the OR. In the OR, they're opening her up. When they start walking the building, they open her chest up. We're sitting there waiting and praying. It was a very, very long surgery. She was on bypass for a long time. But they said the heart actually fit. They, they haven't seen where a heart fits more perfectly in her chest than this one. Mm. So it was awesome and and it was crazy when she they brought her back to her room for the first time in her whole life her seven months of life she was pink 
Her mm. skin color was actually pink. She was very pale and, and more of a grayish white. And so to see her, we're like, oh my gosh, look at she. And, and she's breathing on her own. Like it was just, it was a miracle. We couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe that her heart came that fast, that she was doing so well. And then what a whirlwind, you know, those last seven and a half months were. So March 15th of 2012, Amelia got her new heart. Ah. Seven months, three weeks. I'm curious in all of that, um, when your testimony was so strong, did people notice your your piece that you had, Brian especially? And Kim, it sounds like yours, after your darkness, you you came to that place where you had peace yes. as well. Did did people notice that? Yeah. And I I I think every it's kind of um what's that word I'm looking for? Um it spreads, you know, like that peace actually like helps everyone else be peaceful. Mm. So in our time of our biggest fear and our biggest struggle, we got to a place where we could actually show people that we were trusting the Lord, that we were peaceful, that we were on the same page and that we were, that no matter what, that God was still God. So people followed suit, like all of our family was like, okay, all right, this is going to be okay. She's going to be okay. She's going to be fine. We're going to be, we're, our family was like, we're going to support you. We're going to love you. A lot of them from a distance. But, um, and, and the nurses and doctors, I just remember like they would come into our room and take their breaks in our room because they said it was such a happy room. It was mm. such a peaceful room. And they said, um, they loved being around us. They said we were like great patients because we respected them and we loved them and we treated them as we're all part of the team, we're all here to help her get better. And so I just know, I know that they felt peace and they felt something different because they were, gra they gravitated to our room, Amelia's room, but mm. you know, us, the moody room. <laughs> so you mean when Jesus invades a space, it actually makes a difference. A big difference. Mm. And you know, what's crazy is the room that she was in, they started putting, they said, well, you know how long Amelia waited? She only waited two weeks. All these other kids were waiting a long time. And they said, let's try moving this child that's waiting for a heart into Amelia's room. Because we had already come home at that point. Mm -hmm. We've been home. And so they would move Amelia, or they would move a patient to Amelia's room. And within 24 hours, they'd get a heart. Oh, wow. And then they'd move another. They're like, well, this child's been waiting a long time. It's not looking good. Let's, let's go for the Amelia room again. So mm -hmm. they would, and I, I don't know how long that went on, but... The, whenever a child went in that room, they got a heart fast. And I remember mm. hearing that afterwards. I'm like, no one ever told us that. Like, we didn't mm. know. And they're like, yeah, we actually still, like when someone's like on the list, they put them in that room because mm. it, it's anointed. Like, I know that they don't believe, I don't know if they believe that, but I feel like that that Some was, of them believe it. Some of them are superstitious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah some are superstitious. But like, I just feel like the anointing of, of God is in that room. But anyway. <laughs> so was... Was that um, the heart transplant in Amelia's situation? Was that the the scariest or the lowest point? Was centered around that? I think at that point it was. At that point in our life, it was. Um, so we came home uh, again. She she did phenomenally. They told us that um, the shortest amount of time that you'll go home in is two weeks. Uh, you'll do a biopsy in three days. You'll do a biopsy in in about 10 or 11 days. And then once we get results from those two biopsies, if everything is great, then uh, two weeks after transplant is the absolute earliest that you can go home. And once again, we're nine, 10, 11 days. And they're like, well, protocol says we have to wait another day to do biopsy. 
She's um, sitting up in bed eating. Mm. She's sitting up like laughing and talking. Like it was just, it was unreal. Yeah. Uh, she, she was doing phenomenally. Um, and so two weeks, uh, we went home on February 28th. Again, another day you don't forget. Yeah. Uh, so she came home on the 28th and um, Kim and I, before even Kim and I were married, before I was dating Kim, um, I had a tradition where I went to Zion over the 4th of July and she was doing so good. We were already asking our doctors, hey, are, are we going to have a chance to go to Zion over the 4th of July? Because um, we had to make reservations in January. So we actually already had our camping trip reservations for the 4th of July weekend. Uh, just because if we don't make it, you don't get to go. Mm. And she was doing fine before transplant in January, so we made our reservations. So we were asking the doctors, can we go to Zion? Can we go to Zion? And they're like, well, let's wait. Let's wait and see. You know, we have three-month three, three biopsy will be June 15th. So if everything looks great, you can go um, home. You can go to Zion in, in July. Um, we came home, and everything was doing great. In fact, we were at a restaurant one afternoon, one evening, having dinner. And Amelia was doing so good that I remember just sitting there and looking at a restaurant, 100 people in a restaurant. And I looked at, looked at Amelia and I looked at the 100 people in the restaurant and I was like, man, she's doing so phenomenally well. She's not even a year old. She's doing so good. And I looked at Kim and I said, do you realize how, how good Amelia is doing for having a transplant less than three months ago? I was like... It's like if you walk around to this restaurant right now, probably 100 people in the restaurant, you said there's somebody in this restaurant who had a heart transplant less than three months ago. Not only would nobody point to Amelia, nobody would even stop and look at her mm. to say, could it be her? Mm. That's how good she was doing. She was small for her age, but other than that, you couldn't tell. So she was doing phenomenally. So and phenomenally that we... Did get we, to go did, to Zion. we did go to Zion. And uh, he carried her in a backpack all the way up to Angel Landing. So if anyone has hiked up Angel Landing, it's not for the the chickens. Faint of heart. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's the word. I'm like, the faint of chickens something. Um, but he had her in a backpack. I carried our food and water. And we got her to the very tippy top of Angel Landing. And it was just a moment where we're like, okay, like, this is beautiful. Like, it was just a really cool moment for us. Hmm. But the but, hardest part, I think, for Amelia's journey was um, when she was two and a half. So Amelia, we, she turned one, life was good. We were like, let's have more babies. Like this is, we wanted a big family. Let's have another, let's try and have another baby. So we did. And we had Wesley. He was healthy. He had no heart problems. He was just perfect. And um, when he was about five months old, Amelia started getting really sick again. Mm. And it was scary because we were, were not expecting her to get sick. And a lot of people think that when she gets a heart transplant, that she's cured that mm. she's fixed, and they don't really think that she's going to have a whole new set of side effects that come along with that, and her immune system's weak now. So we give her medicine so that her heart, um, so that her body doesn't reject her heart, because her heart's not hers. Her yeah. body wants to attack it. So we give her medicine that makes her immune system weak. So she gets when she gets sick, she gets sick. She had um, a bout where she had some really, really soft stool, and um, she was very dehydrated. She spent a week in the hospital. So everyone in her kindergarten class had diarrhea and she they were fine they had a day or two where they missed school she was in the hospital for a week mm. and that's how that's how scary it is i mean that's what that's what she traded but she was about two and a half and um 
I knew she was she was sick. She was having bad stools again. And I said, Brian, something's not right. Wesley's little. So we check into this hospital, a PCH again. They know they know us. And um, it turns out she was in acute kidney failure. She was um, she had a big um, almost abscess on her bottom, this really bad sore that was growing. Mm. Um, her platelets were under 25, um, which was really low. I think you want to be between 250 and like 350. Um, her white blood cells were bad. Anyway, she was just a mess. She was not doing well, and the doctors didn't know what was wrong. So that year we spent about, what, four, four and months? Three and a half out of four, four and, months and a half in months in the hospital. Wow. And she was... Halloween, she, Thanksgiving, Christmas... We made it home for Valentine's Day. I do know that. Yes, we did. And, we, and I had a little baby who I was nursing full time. And it was just really hard because no one knew what was wrong with her. She was actually dying. Um, and so it was really scary to to say, you guys are the people that know everything. Why can't you help her? Well, every child's different. And we knew that. We were kind and we prayed so hard. And and she was actually dying. Like, we didn't know what was wrong. No one could help her. They were doing everything under the moon to help her. I mean, I could go into story after story of what they did. But nothing helped her. And our, we got a doctor that came in. He was um, a hematologist. And he said, I think I, and he had been searching. He said, I think I found somebody in India that has a lot of the same symptoms she has. And they treated him with um, this thing. It's called rituximab. It's a type of chemotherapy. And mm. I want to try that on her. And at this point, we had nothing else to do. She's bleeding internally. Her lungs are bleeding. She's intubated. She's she getting has multiple, a coloss- tra- she multiple has a- transfusions a day. She- so if you gave blood this weekend, thank you. You mm. saved our daughter's life. Yeah. She, I mean, she was getting sometimes five and six platelet red blood cell infusions a day. And and she just wasn't keeping them. So she it was awful. So... They treat, and she had a colostomy, so she was, you know, the, you can look that up, but um, she was very sick. Mm. And so he gave her this form of chemotherapy via IV, and she started getting better. She finally started getting better, and we're like, oh, thank you, Lord. And I remember it was New Year's Eve. Our nurses rounded, the night nurses rounded at our door, and they brought us some sparkling champagne, and they said, here's to a good year for Amelia. For, it's, this is going to be her year. And that night... She, we, um, she wasn't breathing well. She kept desatting, so her oxygen kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And she, we, they thought, ultimately, they thought she had a pulmonary embolism, and that usually that could kill you easy. And so she was rushed down to get a scan, and it turns out that's when they found out her lungs were bleeding. And it was just crazy to think, like, here we are speaking life into the new year, and all this is just hitting the fan, you know? And so mm. we were terrified, and we were scared, but she got better. And so as scary as that was and as scary as our journey was, she always got better. Hmm. Like she was very close to not being with us and that was terrifying. Oh gosh, because you love your kids so much. But she got better. Don't so, know why. She just started to get better. She did. Hmm. And we It was God. And it was God using these doctors and this doctor that he found in India. But anyway... She started, and so we got to go home. I had to. I remember I had to give her shots twice a day. I had to um, change her colostomy. Several, like it was just, it was a mess. But we did it. It was fine. You do anything for your kids, right? Anything. So, I was. We've, so that was that was our our darkest time with Amelia because nobody knew it was wrong. Nobody mm-hmm. had a plan. They were trying everything. They were desperate, mm-hmm. and no one could figure it out. So for us, I feel like that was our most challenging time with Amelia because nobody knew what to do. And, and we, she wasn't, for a while, she wasn't getting better. She was getting worse. Worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And here we had a little baby that we were trying, and I was trying to love and take care of, but you're so focused on keeping your child alive. 
So anyway, that and was... How old is Amelia now, and what's kind of like her... Describe her health situation now. She's eight. Um, she's wild and crazy. I mean, she's the most adventurous little girl. She's broken her arm twice, if that tells you something. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is nothing for us, because my we, we she broke it in Seattle. My sister and her daughter are like, what are you going to do? And we're like, we're going to... Whatever cast. else we do, like <laughs> you know, like we are not like this is not our first rodeo, you know, like yeah. we this is nothing compared to what we've been through. Like I can handle broken bones, you know, and so like I just, I you just God gives, and I'm not a very, I think I, I think in general I'm not a calm person. I'm I'm kind of I bring the life to the party sometimes, but through this God has taught me to have this just the spirit has given me just a calming spirit. So when things like this happen with our children, I just come right in. It's like a, a breath of fresh air. God God just fills me. And I just come along them. I'm like, okay, it's okay. We're going to get it done. Whereas normally I, I feel like in before children, I would be the overreactor and, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? <laughs> mm-hmm. But here I am. I'm like, I'm, I'm cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know that that's the Holy Spirit just constantly saying it's going to be okay, I'm, I'm with you, you're not alone, and we're going to do this together. Hmm. So anyway, so she's crazy. She's amazing. She's so sweet. Other than some minor sicknesses and yeah, broken bones since she was two and a half, she's been great. She so goes to great. school. Um, we're back. We can go to church again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. during, during her first couple years of life, it was really hard to come to church. So uh, we were not church members. The, uh, we were at home. Just because she, she we couldn't sick. risk her com- coming in and getting sick. Sure, yeah. So, but a- after we checked out when she was two and a half, she's been great ever since. So then, um, you had a second child with relatively no uh, speaking, no uh, health None. concerns, nope. but that wasn't the story with your third child. Can mm-hmm. you tell me about uh, your son Charles? Yeah. So, like Kim said, we um, after Amelia got better, we're like, all right, well. We always wanted more kids. It's time to have another kid. Let's go so, for it. <laughs> um, we had another kid and another baby got pregnant again. And um, once you have an unhealthy baby, you have high-risk babies. So we went in and did the the high-risk ultrasound again. And hmm. our concern is is the heart. And we had been through enough ultrasounds and listened to the doctors enough where uh, we were we were reading the ultrasound as the sonographer yeah. was doing it. And we were whispering to each other, oh, the heart, you see those four chambers? Oh, and look at those, the, the mitral the- valve. And, you know, like we knew all the terminology. Mm. We're like, oh my gosh, he's, he's got a great heart, you know? Mm. So um, Charles was born and, and again, provided joy to our family. Was um, We were so excited to have him. The kids were, uh, Wes was over, just over the moon. <laughs> Um, for having a obsessed, baby brother, yes. completely obsessed. Mm. And um, Amelia came in after he was born and, and looked at him and said, yeah, Dad, I got one of these. Yeah, she was I'm, like, I'm okay, good. cool. What's next? She was not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I've already got one. <laughs> so we brought Charles home and, and started to be a, a, a family of three chaos, children, divide and chaos. conquer. Once mm. you have three kids, it's not one-on-one. You're not playing man defense anymore. No. You're playing zone defense. Yeah, you were outnumbered. Um, so we went through the summer and into the fall. And, and he and was a really good baby. Like he was just, he hung out, he, he chilled. He was just, he was just the perfect addition to our family. But with Amelia, we were hypersensitive to milestones. You know, those doctors go through milestones. And if you have healthy, healthy children, it's like they no big deal. Them, right? You're like, okay, they have milestones, whatever. And, and Kim, again, 
um, phenomenal taking phenomenal mom, mom taking care of of the of our kids and um, she was noticing things that since we were so hypersensitive about milestones with Amelia she was noticing things she's like you know I can't I can't he's six months old and we can't get him to sit up he won't sit up on his own we have to support him and hmm. um, she just noticed some little things and I was like yeah okay um, we've asked doctors about you know, some milestones, they say, well, sometime between six and 24 months. And they get like, teeth and we're like, that? okay, yeah. well, yeah, I guess we won't worry about that one. Hmm. So, but by this time I had learned to, if, if Kim notices something, then something's wrong. So I kind of just stowed that again in the back of my mind and went in for one of his, um, his regular checkups. His six month checkup. And I remember I had both kids with all three kids with me and it was, you know, it's chaos when you have little kids. And our pediatrician, who is one of our very good friends, he um, he says, "Well, how's he doing?" And I said, "He's okay. He's he's doing okay. He's great. Like he's healthy. We had no concerns." And he's like, "Is he sitting up yet?" And I said, "No." He's like, "Well, that's okay. Let's check at the nine month and make sure." And then he's doing the normal, like checking his legs, and you know they tap on his knee and they look, you know, they check everything out. So he was checking, giving Charles a full little checkout, and he got to his little hips, and he's like, "Oh, his hips are really stiff." And I thought, they are stiff, but I never really connected it with that word. And so I thought, that's not good. And, and it was just this red flag that went off. And it was just, I knew it was the Lord just saying, hey, remember, don't just push that underneath here. Keep that somewhere up close. Me, on the other hand. Brian's I, like, he's fine. I, I thought all of our kids were stiff. You know, you, you go Especially and you got to grab your, their arms to pull them into the onesie and grab their legs to stretch them out. And they've been curled in the fetal position, so they don't want to stretch out. And mm-hmm. it takes time for us. So it wasn't a big deal to me. I was like, yeah, all of our kids were stiff. No mm-hmm. big deal. But uh, we came back for another appointment. And I was worried. And I was, you know, he might say I'm crazy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but most most husbands admit that of their wives. It's okay. And I'll admit it. I, I can be. But um, he, he, I was being a little sensitive, and I was being very sensitive to the fact that he was stiff. And um, don't ever Google what stiff babies are, because when I Googled it, the um, stiff babies that aren't doing this, and I got di- the diagnosis on Google was cerebral palsy. Mm. And I was terrified, thinking, oh my gosh, did he have birth trauma? I don't think so. I think, And so the, here I am just going through all these motions, thinking that, oh my gosh, he might have cerebral palsy. And so then we go in, and so I'm scared, but I'm trusting God, and I'm not going to go to that, that, a place where he could, anything could be wrong. So our pediatrician says, well, the fact that you guys are here is telling me that you're worried about something. And he said, what is it you want? And I said, we're worried. He said, how about I refer you, I, I'll give you the best neurologist I know at Phoenix Children's Hospital, and you need to go talk to them if you're worried about something. So we go, took a while to get an appointment, but we got CT scans, um, blood work. Blood work. Uh, we got just a, a bunch of different testing done. And all in the process, Charles isn't getting, he's not sitting up. He's not doing things that you should be doing at nine months. And he's still not getting more nine-month-ish. He's just not doing what he needs to do. So we start going to a physical therapist to try and get him to sit up. And so he, I'm a little worried about him sitting up, but I'm like, it's okay if if whatever God gives us, we're going to handle and we're going to take care of it and we're going to love him and we're going to fight for him. So it's December and um, we get the results from his CT scan and he tells us, well, it's not good. There's some 
abnormal de- white matter. Demyelination, which mm-hmm. is abnormal white matter. And that could mean a hundred different things. So what we now need to do is we're going to actually do a c- more blood work. And now we have to wait because there's one lab in like Indiana or Ohio or somewhere that does that. So mm-hmm. we took labs, we went home. In the process, Charles actually starts failing. And I was nursing full time. And so I, when you're nursing, you don't really know how much they're getting. And so you're like, well, I don't, I feel like he's eating fine. We're in Colorado. It's after Christmas. And I look at Charles and he's fussy and he's cranky and he hasn't smiled in like four days. And I looked at Brian, I'm like, something's wrong. I changed his diaper and his little belly's flabby, like he had lost weight. And I'm like, Brian, something's wrong. We need to go home now. So we go home. We both actually had strep throat. We had, we drove overnight. Like it was just a nightmare, but it's fine. We go see our pediatrician. He's like, if he won't take a bottle, I have to check him in for, he needs hydration. He's, he's like, he needs to eat. He had been like 15 pounds and had lost two pounds. pounds yeah. And, and for a little baby, that's mm, huge. Yeah. And he's fussy and he's cranky. And we're like, oh, what is going on here? Like we Doctor need a gave diagnosis. Us 24 or 48 hours to have him get back up to weight. And we're like, okay. And hmm. he didn't. So we check into good old Phoenix Children's Hospital again, which we love, but it's not a fun place we want to go to. We weren't on the cardiology wing though. And the no, nurse, we were nurse all, comes into the room just a regular and says, okay, patient. I'm, I'm going to give you an NG tube. And we're like, yeah, we know what that is. Hmm. And it's a, it's a, it goes into your nose and yeah, we know what that is. And we're going to place it. Yeah, we know how to do that. I know. Like <laughs> we, we were like, we were very seasoned and in, hmm. in treating for children, but or at least Amelia. And so I remember... Um, we put an NG tube in, we eventually go home and then two or three weeks later, two or three weeks later, it we was have a January 26th. We have a follow-up with the neurologist. He finally we, calls us because the he results, gets results are back and he wants to see us in person. If that tells you something. Mm. So we go in, um, have all three kids, take all three kids into the appointment and oh the doctor comes in. We didn't want it that way, but no one was there to help us with the, Like no one could watch our kids. So yeah. we were like, well, I guess we're bringing the whole clan. Couldn't make arrangements. So all the kids are in there and they're five, three and five. And how do you keep, be quiet kids. No, we got to pay attention to the doctor. Yeah. So the doctor comes in and they're messing. They're just, they're, they're being actually, kids. They're actually one in three, but that's okay. They were little. <laughs> And, and they're, like, I they're, uh, <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> uh, so Kim is the person who takes care of the kids. And so she needs to pay attention to that. So I try to try to round up the kids in the corner of the office. And, we brought popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like that was like their favorite treat. So they got a lot of popcorn that day. So the doctor starts quiet. talking to Kim and I, I can't really pay attention cause I'm holding, trying to keep the kids under control. Um, and and all I remember hearing was, um, your son has a disease called Crabbe disease. Um, he says some stuff about says that, and says a lot of stuff about that. And then the next thing I hear is that we don't really have a treatment option, and some more stuff is going on. And the next thing I hear is his life expectancy is two years of age. And I remember sitting over in the corner holding the kids and I was like, I need to make sure I heard that right. Cause I don't want to leave the, I don't want to leave this office not hearing that right. And so he was talking some more to Kim and I'm still taking care of the kids. And, and the doctor finally goes, do you have any questions? And I was like, I need to make sure that I have the basic facts down. So, so I said, I want to make sure I heard you right. And I said, you have 
we have a child that has crab A. Um, it's genetic. There's no treatment option, and his life expectancy is two years. And he goes, yes. And I was like, okay. I don't have any more questions. <laughs> what else are you going to ask for that? So, so crab A is a, um, it's a genetic disease. Um, Kim and I are both recessive carriers of a mutated gene, which means that um, we carry the mutated gene, but it doesn't affect us. And the only time it's a problem for our offspring is when two individuals that have a mutated gene pass that gene on to their offspring. Mm. Um, our particular disease is, is a disease that affects, um, it's called a lysosomal storage disorder, which all that means is that um, he doesn't pro produce uh, an enzyme and the enzyme that he doesn't produce is an enzyme that goes into um, around your nerves. nerves. There's a myelin sheath and that myelin sheath provides some insulation around the nerve and provides conductivity for communication between nerve ends between cells. And so the enzyme that he didn't have, uh, the enzyme that he didn't have is supposed to go into the myelin sheath and help break down toxins and process the toxins out to the bloodstream so that they can then be removed from the body and you can continue to function. So he didn't have that enzyme, so the toxins weren't there. So then it, it damages the myelin sheath. And then as that happens, basically, <clears throat> excuse me, his brain is no longer able to communicate out with the rest of his body. Mm. So to begin with, it, it's cognitive skills, you, you, things that you can control, moving your arms and moving your legs, um, being able to drink and swallow. And then it starts to become the unco in, uncognitive skills, um, being able to um, digest your food, um, breathe, blink, um, process. Um, so slowly as as the it's a degenerative disease a progressive disease so over time as that damage starts to become more and more severe um, he loses functionality he loses the ability to do things and then he just loses the ability to for his body to to sustain life mm. so <clears throat> um, we had that diagnosis in january and um it was a really long, really quiet car ride home from the... And I just remember <clears throat> thinking, you know, you're, you're in like game mode, you know, you're like, okay, I got to put on my big girl pants and I just got to, I got to be strong for my children and for Charles because ultimately I got to be strong for them. And so, yeah, it was quiet. The drive home was quiet, but I just remember really, I, I got angry. I'll be totally honest. And I was really guilty about that for a long time. But I think God can take, I think God understands that anger and understands that I'm only human. And I think he understood that I was angry. And it's, I think he's, I know he still loved me and I know that he was still there, but I just remember. So Charles started <clears throat> failing quickly and we didn't have, we set up hospice, but we didn't have hospice on board yet. It took a couple days for them to come to our house. And I remember rocking Charles to sleep after diagnosis, knowing that he might not even make it to his second birthday. 
And he hadn't even turned one yet. He was still 11 months old. And I remember rocking him to sleep. And he was fussy. And all he wanted to do was be held. So I held him. But everyone was sleeping. Charles was in my arms. And I was in his room. And I was just finally processing what happened. And I had a very long conversation with God. And I was... I remember him just nudging me, saying, Kimmy, I'm here. Let me help you. Let me hold you. And I said, no, leave me alone. Leave me alone. You've, you've, I feel like you've left me. I feel all alone. Just leave me alone. And everyone was sleeping. It's like midnight. And all the, the moment I said, leave me alone, it's like the lights were already off, but it's like the lights turned off. It's, it was just crazy. I know it sounds weird, but it's like for a glimpse in time, God let me feel what it was like without his, his love and his presence. I, I know that he was still there, but it's like he let me feel hopelessness. Mm. And what that, I don't know, I can't explain it. So I go an hour and I was angry. And then I crawl back into my bed when he fell asleep. And I said, Oh, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry for having that conversation with you. I'm so sorry for that raw, for even admitting this to you guys, that I was that raw and that angry. I wasn't questioning faith, but I was letting him know I didn't like this. And I said, please don't ever leave me. I know you were there, and thank you for letting me feel what some people in this world feel. No hope. Yeah, Charles is going to die, but he's going to live forever with you in heaven. And... Someday I'm going to get to see him again. And that was a beautiful thing. So my story and my journey with Charles is a lot of hope. You know, when the doctor said there's nothing we can do to help him, he's going to die. There's no treatment. You can't do anything. You take him home and make him comfortable. And I thought how opposite that was from Amelia's journey where they had plan B. And if that didn't work, it was plan C. And if that didn't work, they had this. Or artificial hearts were new. Or the Berlin pump was new. Transplant was always there. But what the doctor said to us, there's nothing we can do. He's going to die. And of course, don't get me wrong, we prayed for healing. And we prayed fully that God was going to heal him. I trusted God with all my heart. After that dark moment for me again, hello, I'm human. Ugh. I, I wish I didn't do that, but I, I learned something so valuable from that moment. But I don't know, I just gained so much hope knowing that that God was faithful and that God was there through every moment. I don't know, it was just, it was just awful. But I've never felt the presence of the Lord more in my entire life than I did when and I think it's because I was desperate. I didn't know who else to turn to. I, I didn't know. I couldn't imagine going through this without knowing that Jesus was... The people that go through life without God breaks my heart because I'm like, what do they have to live for? Mm. Like, if this is all we have... So if this was Charles's only chance at life, if this was it, what a waste. Mm. He suffered. He suffered. He did not... He was not well. He died in my arms. It was rough. But this is just the beginning. That's just the beginning of Charles's story. His his life is now beginning. And actually at his funeral we um there's it's not from the Bible but it's C.S. Lewis in one of his books um The Chronicles of Narnia the Last Battle. 
we put this on one of his cards, but um, I just wanted to read it because it just gives a little perspective. And it says, and as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And as for us, this end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, Charles, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And so that just kind of gave me a little glimpse of heaven and how this life is important to love and disciple people. But really, it's all about being with Jesus in eternity. And so, sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent there. No, I want, that's, that's what I wanted to hear. That's what I want people listening to hear is, is the, 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 the honest, genuine content <laughs> of your heart. So thank you for, for sharing that. Brian, I'm, I'm wondering kind of what was going on in, in <laughs> your heart, your mind, and your prayers in the wake of, you know, having gone through what you did with Amelia and then getting the diagnosis for Charles, what was going on inside of Brian uh, after that point? Yeah, so, um, well, Beijing's out there and <laughs> we, we got a path to go, so so we're going. So I, I <clears throat> you know, we... What's, what's in this instance... What is Beijing? What's the what's the mission? I have no idea. Hmm. Um, but we were we were going somewhere. Hmm. Um, we we had a path path in front of the the mission for us. I guess at this point was okay. Charles is is eleven months old. Um, he has somewhere between zero and maybe thirteen months, maybe maybe two years. Um, these kids never, especially when they're diagnosed this young, um, there's several, there's severity of this disease, but when it's this young, they're, they're not, they don't, they're not here very long. So our, our mission now is, is what, what do we do? What do we do to honor Charles? What do we do? Um, I think Kim said, um, pretty soon, the only thing we're going to have left is memories and pictures Hmm. of Charles. We're not going to have him anymore. So, so then the mission is, what do we do to honor his life and, and care for him here? But um, I, I, for, for me, I went into just, okay, what's going on now? Um, the planning mode. But over time, uh, I think one of the things that, that went through my head, you know, when, when Amelia was born um, and we were going through the stuff with her, um, one of the things that I came to relatively quickly was, okay, if, if Amelia is really a daughter of God, right? She's a child of God. That means she's God's child. She's not my child. She's mm. God's child. So um, my statement for Amelia was, oh, all right, God, you have allowed us to, you've given this little girl to us, to me, to care for, um, to love, to cherish. My responsibility is to raise her, to love, honor, serve, and worship you. So, um, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Um, that's my responsibility is to raise my little girl and my sons now to, 
to be men and women of God and they're your child. So as long as you have bestowed them to me, that's what I'm going to do. So then when it came time, when we got the diagnosis for Charles, I was like, holy smokes, that, that time is pretty small. Um, but ultimately he's, he's yours. So I'm going to love him and we're going to care for him and to the best of our ability for as long as you allow us to do so. Um, so we started making plans to try to try to do that. Um, we didn't necessarily create a bucket list, uh, but we started making plans to do as much as we could with him, um, to create as many memories as we could with him, to do as many things. Um, we got to have an awesome two-week vacation where we traveled all the way up to Yellowstone and back with him um, to get him to see places that we wanted him to see that we knew he wasn't going to be able to see. So... Um, we did that. We took him to Zion. <laughs> Zion's a special place for us to try to get him to as many places as we could. Um, <clears throat> so that was really our, our mode is this is God's child. And I'm, I'm just, I'm doing whatever I can to care for him as long as I can with him. And that's um, cherish every day, you know, and so yeah. take him on adventures as he can tolerate and take him. We did a lantern f festival and that was beautiful. So, I mean, we, it was just each day was an adventure and, and we made a choice. I know, I, I think he, Brian always had that, but I took me a little bit longer to get there, but you make a choice to give the best of you and to honor God. How are we going to take care of him and honor God at the same time? And we figured out how to do it. And we spoke life into him and we laughed a lot I cried if I was going to the bathroom. That's where I spent all my tears or in the shower. I cried then because I didn't want him to feel mm. his last minutes on earth or his last weeks just with that heavy heart. I wanted him to feel just joy in life. Um, I'm wondering now, as you look back at both your experience with Amelia and with Charles, what role were other Christians playing in your lives in a way that was either helping or uh, maybe hurting or falling short? Um, well, it was, it was kind of hard for us because uh, we, had, we had changed churches sometime shortly after Amelia was born. Um, we'd been going to a church and, and they kind of knew about Amelia's story, but um, we never really got we never got any support from that church. I don't think we were ever really excited about going to that church, anyways. Um, so we ended up sw switching churches. Uh, we actually, I think, we started here with Amelia right be not long before transplant. Um, started trying to come here and, and get plugged in, but then we went to transplant and... We're gone for a while. Yeah, we were gone. We couldn't, we couldn't come sick. for a year and a half because she was sick going to cold and flu season. So um, for Amelia, most of, of that for us was just the, the friends and family that we already had. Okay. Um, we had some family, your sister up in Seattle. A lot of our family and close friends were far away. So a lot of the people that we that were, we were most connected to were gone, um, just far away, and so they couldn't really step in to be there for us as much as they wanted. They did their best, and um, and so we received whatever. I mean, we just 
we did, you're just in like Rambo mode where you're like, all right, let's do this. And mm. if anyone wants to come alongside us, we need you. But if you don't, then God is enough. You know, we're going to go straight to the source for our help. And and a lot of the time, that's all we had. And not that that's all we had, because God is more than enough. But sometimes we it was just me, myself, and I, me, Brian, and Amelia, and God. You know, there, it, there were crickets. There weren't a lot of people around to help us. And that was, we, we realize it's kind of our situation. We didn't get a chance to really be involved. Um, we didn't really get a chance to meet people. And it's hard to start a church where, and just automatically be friends every, with everybody. You've got to really put in some work yourself. Mm, yeah. And you ha- have to have the opportunity for people to come speak life into you. And so we didn't really get either of those. And so... That yeah, was the challenge. We didn't have enough time to get plugged in here before Amelia went through transplant. So mm. um, that was really hard for us. But I think the second time she was sick was really hard for us because you were commuting to the hospital every day. And I was trying to keep Amelia alive and keeping a baby alive by nursing him. And so we didn't have food. And I remember both of our mothers, it was crazy. Um, and they didn't talk with each other at that time. I mean, they weren't. They didn't like say they were going to do this, but they had called um, the church and said, "Hey, um, our kids are really. They have a really sick child. Can you do you guys have like um, a ministry where maybe you can make them a couple meals?" And um, and so we got a meals that was here. We did get some meals for a couple of weeks, which was a huge blessing, and that was. Um, that was awesome. So we were really grateful for that. And I think they met, um, a couple of ladies came and saw Amelia in the hospital and brought her a little stuffed animal. And that was just nice because we never had visitors. We never had mm. people to come visit us and kind of keep me company. I think I was the one that was going crazy most mm. because I was here. I was like momming it in the hospital and just doing the best you can with while he's working all day. Mm. So it was hard, but, and then with Charles, Hardest part was when we were talking with our physical therapist and, and we had come to her and we said, hey, because we actually had a, a physical therapy appointment the day after we got, we call it D-Day, it's diagnosis day for us. Um, and so we told her, we said, Charles is dying. Um, we don't need physical therapy anymore. And this woman was actually a really awesome Christian and we were still friends with her. But, um, and she said, well, I assume that you have a church community that's really rallying behind you. And um, I, I'm just, I, I want to make sure that you have that. And we both look at her and look at each other and look back at her. And we're like, we don't, I said, we don't know anyone at our church and they don't, mm. they don't really know our need. And she said, okay, well. I have a life group and we were actually looking for someone to bless. And I'm like, are you just saying that? And sure enough, her life group and her were God's hands and feet to us. So Mm. it doesn't matter what part of the body is helping you. Mm -hmm. God's hands and feet were still helping us in one way or another. So they brought us meals and we had um, someone here reach out to us because Brian said, hey, we need to let you know, like we found out our son's dying. Um, we're going to have to like eventually plan a funeral. So we're, he's starting to like communicate with the church and let them know that, hey, we might need some help with a funeral or like, you know, how, how we can plan that. My and, planning mind goes into action. Yeah, okay, like I need to get some stuff set up. Yes, so I reached great. out to, to try a to few people make and, sure that we had a facility for services when the time came and... Um, and we got a, a response, and and I know it was with a good heart and out of love, but it was, well, let us know how we can help you. 
And I just thought, mm-hmm. and I, I remember, I think it was an email or maybe it was a phone call and I'm holding my son who's dying. And I'm like, I don't even know what I need right now. Mm-hmm. There's no way I know what we need. And so I said to Brian, I'm like, what do we need? And he's like, I don't know. I, I think we need to like figure out what we're having for dinner right now. And then let's talk about this later. And so I, I feel like we were just in, you're just 100% committed to keeping Charles happy and, and trying to survive because mm. it's really hard. And so we didn't know how to ask for help. We didn't know what we needed. So it's our fault for not giving specifics as to what we needed, but we didn't know what we needed, but mm. we had our, physical therapist said, well, I'm going to come over one day. And I said, okay. And so she came over and saw that Amelia, I had to take Amelia to preschool. And she said, how about we help take her to preschool for you? And she's like, so what are you doing for dinner tonight? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I haven't thought about that yet. I might just have Brian pick up another pizza. And she's like, all right. So it sounds like you need some meals. And I'm like, oh yeah, that, hmm. that would be awesome. And I'm like, and then the part of you doesn't, you, you, that pride part kicks in and you're like, no, we're good. We can handle it. And she's like, no, you're not. And mm. I'm like, okay, we really need it. Mm. And they came in and, and she was, when hospice came over, she helped me order equipment for Charles, like a certain bath because he was too big for a little baby bath. And they just came, they walked with us. And so they were present. They, she showed up mm. and she came over and she said, I see your need. You don't have to tell me what it is, but I see it. Mm. And we're going to help you. Mm-hmm. Their life group adopted us and for four Pretty much for four months, we had three meals a week, mm. plus leftovers, because yeah. when you women cook, you cook a lot of food <laughs> yes. for us. Awesome. <laughs> He'd had lunch, lunches every day because we had leftovers. Had leftovers, I think. And, we, and, what, and I don't think people understand what it means when you give someone a meal. <laughs> but in our situation, when they brought us a dinner, that gave me time with Charles. Mm. So that made it so that I didn't have to take time away from holding him because I could have either held him all day, which is what he wanted, or if I didn't hold him, I actually had to give him some hardcore drugs to keep him happy or else he he did not do well. And so we had to make him comfortable or I made him comfortable. So because they brought us food, I got to hold Charles. And so that's one regret I don't have is I wish I would have spent more time with him I got every minute of time I needed with him. Mm. And that was because people brought us food. Who would have thought that something so little was so significant for us? Mm. And that need was so great. And we couldn't even see the need. So, So God still, this time, gave us a... He showed us his hands and feet and said, I'm going to use these people to help you. So we were blessed out the wazoo for that. Um, after we lost Charles, um, friends gathered <laughs> around us, and um, they did a lot of stuff for us for the service. In fact, uh, I think it's the hospitality crew here at the church. Um, Della organized a, a, an entire spread for his Beautiful. service. So um, that was phenomenal. I don't, I don't even know who it was yeah, I don't that even, did it. I didn't even know what was happening. But if you did, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that was... That was phenomenal. So um, they supported us for that. And uh, yeah, we just, God just showed up in crazy ways to support us through, through, and it was crazy because it was, there was some through this church, but most of it was just through the greater 
the greater church family of, of the Christians that are out there just listening to the spirits tug to do stuff and, yeah. and support a family that they didn't even know for, for four or five months, hmm. um, just randomly showing up. <laughs> I remember driving, I'd drive down the street and I'd see somebody driving down the street really slow and I'd be like, oh, they don't know the neighborhood. I wonder if they're coming to bring us food. <laughs> mm. And they'd, I'd turn down the street and then pretty soon they'd make a U-turn and come mm. follow me back down the mm. street. So um, just, it, it, God just reached out to us. It was crazy. And they, they even, um, I remember um, they came, a f- our friend came over and she said, hey, um, Charles is turning one in a couple of days. Are you guys, do you, can we throw a party for him? And I said, I didn't even think about his birthday. Like I knew it was coming, but I didn't even think about his first birthday. Like mm. that's something to celebrate. So they showed up with balloons and decorations mm. and presents and they gave him the best birthday party ever. Oh. Just people that just were listening to God. Mm. And it was really special. So we, we were very blessed and, we know, you know, we know that when you, you want to get something out, so when you get something out of something, if you want to get something from someone or something, you got to give to. So there was this, a time when I remember when Wesley, Amelia was healthy, Wesley was born, life was good. This was before Charles. And I'm like, Brian, we really need to get involved here, like at this church. We need to start, like, we need, people need to meet us. We need to meet people. Like, here we are. Life is good right now. Let's go get involved. And I remember they had a a newcomer's barbecue and it was out on the little patio out front of the life center. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go sign up for that Brian. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, no, I'm really, I'm going to go sign up for that. And I don't know what it is. It's terrifying to like make that first step, Mm. but it is. And so I walked over there. Nobody knew me. We'd been going there for like Two years, three years. We did. I mean, on and off, and I didn't know a total anybody. Of about ten services. In <laughs> yeah. that three years. I, know, but, <laughs> I know. And so I sign up for the newcomers barbecue, and then it says, "Are you interested in life groups?" And I'm all, "Oh gosh, should we sign up for the life group?" And I'm like, "I'm doing it." And so I signed up for the life group, and I'm like, "Here we go! Like this is happening." And I remember, <laughs> it's it sounds comical. We laugh about it now, but we got an email saying that the newcomer's barbecue was full. Yeah, it was random. Oh, I it was I know. We're like, "Oh, we're like the newcomer's barbecue's full." What? And I don't I felt like it was a joke at first and I'm like, "What day is this? April Fools?" No. And we just kind of shook that off. We're like, "Well, maybe it's just not our time, you know." So I thought that was crazy. Yeah. And then no one ever called us about a life group. Oh. No one ever and I gave my email address and my phone number because I was really hoping to, like, I had taken that first step mm. and we got nothing. And so that was frustrating. And I remember just trying so hard to find our place here and it was hard. But you know what? Then Amelia got sick again. Mm. So I'm like, well, maybe that was God. I, you know, we try and look at the silver lining. Maybe God was just not letting us get involved. I, I don't know. I don't think he works that way, but I don't know. I was just trying to justify in my head, like, well, Amelia got sick, so we couldn't have been involved anyway. Hmm. But I, we laugh about it now. But then I remember after Charles died, we buried, we buried him. We had the funeral here in the Life Center, and then we started coming again. And I said to Brian, I'm like, we need to go to a different church. I don't, I can't stay here. Like, because we had the funeral here. Yeah. Charles was in nursery. Like when Charles was little, he was in nursery, like for like six months of his life, Mm. his short life, he was in nursery. And I remember, 
I couldn't sit on that side. There was a certain side of the sanctuary I couldn't sit on because I didn't want to walk by nursery because Charles wasn't here anymore. And I couldn't sit in the middle because that's where we walked down when Charles, <laughs> when we had his funeral. Mm. So there were, there were so many things about why I didn't want to be here that I associated with Charles. And then I was frustrated that like nobody really wanted us here. And I was just being totally carnal and human. And so after we lost Charles, I said to Brian, like, we should find a new church. And we should go to the church that these people were supporting us at. And Brian's like, Kimmy. And he doesn't really remember this. And he was just amazing as usual. But he said, how about, he's like, Kimmy, we're not chip jumpers. We're not just going to quit. That's not what we do. We don't quit. God never quit on us. Let's not quit on them. Let's give it a chance. So he said, let's give it one year. Hmm. Let's give this church one year. And what we're going to do, though, is we're going to do everything we can to get involved. And we're going to do everything we can to try and meet, make some friends, to try and get involved here. And we did. We did everything we could. And I remember seeing a friend. I didn't know anybody here. So imagine just coming to church now. We're here for a year. We still don't know anybody. We're trying to find our place. And I see a friend that had a son in the same kindergarten class with me. And I had seen her at a couple parties for kindergarten. And I see her at church. And I say, oh my gosh, I didn't know you went here. And she's looking at me like, who are you? You know, like no idea. And I remember everybody. I remember their first and last name. I probably have their address memorized, which is weird. Wow, I just that's am, a gift. It is a gift. It's I do remember gift. everything. And he can't remember anyone's name. So if we, he ever we gets your name dinner. wrong. We were at dinner Monday night and the waitress walks up and she's like, I know you. And I, Did you go to this apartment complex? And I'm like, is your name blah, 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 blah? And she looks at me and I'm like, oh, I'm wow. not weird. But anyway, <laughs> I saw this, this uh, one of my dear friends now. And I said, you guys go here? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, our kids go to school together. And I was just so excited to know somebody in this big <laughs> sea of people and no one yeah. knowing you. And so I bombarded her. And then I made her be my friend. I'm like, so, so do you, and I said, I've really been wanting to do Bible study. You want to sign up for one? It's on Tuesday. She's like, well, I work full time. I'm like, I think they have a Monday night Bible study. You want to do one? Like I was finally like had someone to like be my buddy. And she's like, I think I, not now, but maybe the next one. Well, I come to find out that I think that was their second time in church ever. Oh, wow. And so here I am like bombarding her, probably scaring her away. Like, oh my gosh, these people are weird. We should leave. But I, I just wanted to grab, I wanted a friend. I just wanted mm. someone to like go to Bible study with or someone to sit with. And so I told her, I said, well, we sit on this part of the church. And she's like, well, we sit on that side. I'm like, well, we used to sit over there. And I'm like, but that's a long story. I'm like, so we sit over there if you want to come. And the next week they sat over there with us and they were our, kind of our first friends here. And and then it just, it started from there. Hmm. And I just made, because Brian said, we're not going to just quit. And, he, and then we both said, maybe we can fill in where they're lacking. Hmm. Because we saw the need. Yeah. And we weren't neglected. That sounds awful. But, but we were kind of left without extra love and care. And that's Okay. We're not angry and we're not bitter. We've, we're totally in a forgiving peace of mind. But mm. we just thought, okay, well, maybe then, maybe God could use this here. And so here, we're still here. Like, we're not going anywhere. But <laughs> And we love it here. We love, we've gotten to know people. Like, I still, most times I'm like, I don't know who that person is. And they're like, oh, it's this person. I'm like, I still don't know that person. But like, mm. we're trying. We're doing our best. And we're trying to, with just a pure heart, to just give all that we can and 
and just do what God wants us to do because at the end of the day, it's all about loving each other hmm. the way that Jesus loves being. My, I just want to be a light in this dark world. And I, I've been in a dark season. I know what that feels like. And I want to be a light to people around us. And and we want to just be disciples and make disciples. And so we feel like this church is doing that. And we want to be part of it. And we're forcing our way in. And now you guys don't have a choice. You're kind of stuck with us. But um, we're not quitters. And Brian's actually not the quitter. I, I just kind of need sometimes a little... I need some come to Jesus meetings. Mm. <laughs> well, I want to say thank you for staying. It's yeah. a remarkable that you did, and uh, I, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, not only staying, but being willing to serve. Mm. Um, thanks for being in our kindergarten class and ministering to little kindergarten kids. Um, but I don't want to, you know, overlook this moment and say, you know, Brian, not everybody is strong as you. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody is going to tell his wife, we're going to stay, we're not going to jump ship. Um, there's a lot of people who would say, no, we're done. These people don't really love Jesus. They don't, they're not really seeking after him. We're, we're gone out of here. And, um, and certainly there are a lot of people who would find reasons not to serve and to carry around bitterness. Um, so I heard you say, Kim, you know, just show up, you know, and and that's so instructive to me. I'm sure it will be so instructive to the people that listen. Are there other things besides just showing up? Um, I, I've learned in my life, you know, you don't ask somebody who's grieving for them to tell you how they can be of help, I've learned that. But are there are there other concrete things? Um, and I kind of guess I feel a little ashamed even asking, but um, I feel like this is a, a place where we can all continue to grow. Are there other things that that you would say? Hey, besides just showing up, you know other advice to, to us who want to learn? Um, I think I would say to, to the, the membership here that, that goes to church on Sunday morning, <coughs> just, just reach out to people. You never know what reaching out to somebody can do and saying hello. And I'm, we had one of those food truck carnival frenzy things down in the service. And I don't remember if it was Pastor Kyle or no, Pastor, it Pastor Bob. It was Pastor Bob. And I remember it was right before Halloween and it was food truck frenzy. And it was awesome. I, it was our, it, was it our second one? Yeah, it was our second one because the first one we were kind of just like doing it. And this time I remember Pastor Bob said, all right, people, this was on Sunday morning service. I want you, when you get to, because you're coming to food truck frenzy, I want <laughs> you to show up and I want you to find somebody that you don't know. Mm, I and that. I want you to go talk to them. And so I, and I grew up, I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like to go unnoticed. I know what it's like to not be the the kid in church, maybe with all the money or the kid in the church that's the cool kid or the kid in the church that, you know, I know what it's like to be alone. So I look for those people anyway. 
and I try and make them feel welcome because we went a long time here not going unnoticed. Mm. And so I'm like, that's one of my big missions here is to find those people and to help them find a place and to help them feel welcome and to help them know that they're loved. Mm. So that's my thing. And so I remember saying to Brian, we get out of the van and there's this cute little scarecrow. She had the cutest little costume and the little boy, I can't remember what his costume was, but they were just so cute. And so Brian gets out and he's like, I'm more of the extrovert and like crazy and wild, but like sometimes I have resistance or I'm not paying attention. Like I'm like, woo, I'm a free spirit, you know, like whatever. Well, Brian gets out and he starts saying, oh, I need, because we had just reseeded our grass in our front yard. And he said, can I borrow your son? We'll pay him, but we need him to stand in our yard to keep the birds away. And I'm like, Brian, and I'm like, you might be creepy right now. Like we don't know these people. And then Brian kept talking to them and I'm, I'm a little irritated because I'm like, Brian, let them get on their way. Like, duh. Like, what, why are you talking to them? And then I'm like, oh, this is our opportunity. And so Brian, I don't know. Were you thinking of that? Like, Not really. Or you were just making conversation with the cute little scarecrow kid. Cute little scarecrow kid. So cute. But anyway, I remember... I'm like, oh my goodness, thank you, Jesus. This is what we're supposed to do. Like, let's talk to them. So I'm like, oh, hi, do you guys go here? And she's like, no, we don't. We've actually been meaning to go here for a long time. And we got this flyer saying that they had trunk or treat and a bunch of fun stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we go here and we love it. I'm like, what's your name? And so we talked the whole, like we were parked way down there. We had to walk all the way together. I still remember their names. I see them sometimes here and I bombard her and I'm like, hi. And I try to get her, she works, so it's hard for her to do Bible study. But anyway, we met them and we talked to them and she, I don't know like how involved they are, but I just remember saying they are not going to go unnoticed. Mm. And then they started coming here and I'm not saying that we are the reason they're here, but we obeyed God speaking through Pastor Bob. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if they go here anymore. I haven't seen in a while, but I know that they started coming and maybe they were going to come anyway, but they felt a, a light and a warm spirit. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's enough. You yeah. know, sometimes even that little conversation that he did, which I'm like, Brian, you're being kind of annoying, you know? <laughs> and he was actually like, that was God, like, he's amazing. He drives me crazy, but he's amazing. <laughs> like God and, and God doesn't drive me crazy. Brian does, but. So yeah, just for membership, just uh <laughs> Just reach out. You never know what yes. that's going to do. Um, you know, for for us with going through with with what we did for Charles, um, Becky. I know you've been through the loss of your husband. You don't you don't know what you need when stuff's going on like that. It's it's not. Uh, we would say you know if if we were doing that, we just just go sit down with them. Mm-hmm. Don't give them an option. Right? Yeah. Um, they don't know. You know if if. You show up and and they're going through something. Hey, we're going to bring you meals, mm-hmm. and we're going to do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. this it's not. Can we do it tomorrow? It's you're, we're going to get a meal for you tomorrow. What mm-hmm. time do you want us to be here? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right. It's not because when you're, you know, when we're sitting in that that situation, it's just it's your deer in headlights, and you're yeah. like, right. you don't. <laughs> fortunately, you don't have a chance to think to say no. You're like, oh, okay, and mm-hmm. then it just keeps going, and mm. and you just you just gotta. When when stuff like that's going and and we know the church is doing that because we know we know a family right now that's being blessed with that so we and feeling the love of Jesus through just through that ministry coming and standing by one of our friends as she's going through something really hard mm. and so, just supporting their children too like so we see it happening and and I was telling one of my friends on one of my walks one morning and I said it brings me such joy that this friend is blessed and is going is noticed mm. and that you guys are walking with her. But it also reminds me 
that we weren't. Mm. And I have made a choice. I will not be bitter. Like I, I did a study with a, a few special girlfriends a couple summers ago on Ruth. And there was a part where they were talking about Naomi and how she lost her husband and both her sons. And they called, she called herself Mara. And they, no one really could understand. The, the women in my group were kind of skipping over that because there was a part where they talked about it. And I said, I just want to stop and tell you that I can relate 100% to her. I had a season of bitterness. And if I could have called myself Mara, if I knew then that that's what the name was, I would have been like, my name's Mara with the M, capital A, capital R, capital A, because I was bitter. Because I felt it's, it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that why... First of all, why are we? Why are our children suffering? Mm. We would gladly take it upon ourselves. And then why did our child have to suffer and die? Mm. And then to have... And then to see other children just perfect and healthy. It's just there's a season where you're bitter. And mm. I was for a little while. But I made a choice not long after that where I was like, I'm not going to be that. I won't do that. So I saw my friend being blessed. And I, I remember that we did not... We didn't get that, but then I thought, I'm using that as fuel to now see if there's a need and mm. if I can help there. So it's just, you get choices in life. You get a lot of choices and it's what you choose to do with it. So, but you guys are doing things right. You really are. And our kids are so blessed to be part of a children's ministry. Like Matt was talking about on Sunday. I mean, this is like the perfect topic of conversation at this moment was we're not perfect. This church is not mm. perfect. We fail. We're humans. We are sinful men and women and we're going to fail you, but we can learn and we can grow together. Yeah. And, and I, I also, sorry, on a side note, um, I had a, a, a woman, a, someone in women's ministry here come visit me in my home and I, I let her know part of our story. And she said to me, she's like, you know, what's funny is she says, I don't really hear a lot of the, the negatives that that our church is doing. And she's like, and I think that that might mean that the people that something bad happens to don't stick around to tell us. Mm. And so she said, thank you for staying and thank you for sharing that because we know that we're not perfect, but now we have something that we can work on. We have something that we can be better at. Yeah. And so I just thought, I'm like, yeah, because I mean, how many people, not that we're great or wonderful, we're not, but how many people like me would have jumped ship, mm. you know? Yeah. Well, I so appreciate your uh, willingness to to share that with us. You know, we talk about the church being a family, um, but if we're really going to be a family, I mean, like, families are messy, and sometimes we <laughs> yes. got to talk about stuff, yeah. you know, and we share in whatever way we can, in whatever limited way we can, we share pain and we share celebration, and we also work through the mess, yeah. you know? And so I really appreciate you. I know you, you expressed this before we recorded a little bit of hesit- hesitancy yeah. about that, but uh, I'm really glad that you, uh, that you did share just your experience here. And, um, and uh, I look forward, yeah, with, with you guys to just seeing how our church can change and grow and mature and, uh, and, and bring about more of what God wants to see in this local family. So, and I, I can only imagine that telling this story takes a lot of energy out of you every time you tell it. And so, uh, just closing up here, I want to say thank you both so much for being willing to yeah, expend energy you. here and, and share with us. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. We, we're excited to share and hope that um, people are encouraged by the story and, and encouraged that 
God still works and he still is there in the darkest time and and there's there's always hope no matter what you're going through and um, that hope is is found in Jesus. Okay, that was a conversation um, and a really good one. Um, what I'm curious stood out to you during your time mm-hmm. talking with the Moody's? I think the thing that struck me the most was the reference to making choices. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of times, um, at least I guess I'll in- interject my experience just a tiny bit. Sometimes in my life I felt like you know, maybe I didn't have choices, but I think the reality is is that we do. And so that really stood out to me that that was so pronounced that you can make a decision to say, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to make a decision to continue to trust that God is on the throne, that He is good. Mm. Um, and And those are things I think that the Spirit brings about in us. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's the thing that I... I guess it resonates with me because I think that having Kim having Brian to say and to remind her, you've got a choice, and the Spirit reminding her, you've got a choice in this. Um, I think that's the importance of community, that mm. we be invested in one another's lives so we have those people to remind us, you do have a choice in this. You can remember truth, and you can you can accept that or you can reject it. Yeah. I appreciated, you know, uh, just what they shared about uh, where the, w- things they wish uh, they would have seen Red Mountain do, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit more, a little bit more effectively, and and how they stuck around to share that. Absolutely, you know. And then on top of that, kind of related to that, you know, she resolved Kim to uh, to be a part of the solution. You know, yes. and, and realizing, okay, so the church, you know, didn't meet us here uh, in the way that we really that we really would have loved to have seen. Um, but now she has a heart for that, and she and sometimes, you know, we are we all just tend to be really only have an awareness of what's going on in our lives and our hearts and stuff, you know. And mm-hmm. um, so uh, that experience led her to kind of have a sensitivity to, to mm-hmm. this this need, this open space, and then she resolved, I'm going to fill that space, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, and that, that's just, that's awesome and rare to see that kind of uh, dogged commitment to the local church. And, Absolutely. But it, it's it's something I think God uses to bring about transformation in mm-hmm. His people, you know? So that was really awesome to see. Yeah. Uh, all right. Hard, rough, Terrible transition to the poll segment at rmcchurch.org slash podcast. <laughs> Becky's like, what in the world is What just happened? happened? <laughs> what <is this? laughs> uh, okay, well, we put a poll up every month that you can uh, respond to so that we can, I don't know, get answers and find out where people are at on substanceless issues here at Red Mountain Community Church. Uh, the issue this month, or the question is, would you rather have the strength of Samson or the wisdom of Solomon. We had 45 votes total. 42 voted they'd want to have the wisdom of Solomon, and only three said they'd want to have the strength of Samson. One person commented, wisdom is strength, which was very thoughtful. Becky, do you have a a, a choice, one that you would pick? Wisdom. Yeah? Proverbs says, the wisdom is better than gold. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. 
<laughs> but and, and I think that the, the the right answer, the Sunday school get a lollipop at the end of class answer is wisdom. Is wisdom the wisdom of Solomon? <laughs> but I don't know if you saw my shirt. I've been reading comic books for over twenty years now. Okay. And if I was really given the option, mm-hmm. I gotta be honest. I think I would choose the super strength. Okay. I, I would know. You know, God, I should really choose wisdom here, right? But <laughs> super strength. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that I one. Mean, yeah, I mean, I'm going to like, make my fortune doing YouTube videos or whatever on the street. And when, hmm. I was in, when I was in junior high, I prayed, I think on more than one occasion, that God would give me superpowers. Okay. It, it was an earnest prayer of a seventh grader. I, I, and I promised God that I wouldn't take over the world. I wouldn't tell people that I was Jesus returning. And I thought that was a pretty reasonable deal, but mm-hmm. nothing. Didn't happen. Nothing. No. Well... I, uh, yeah. Uh, you're left speechless. I, I'm speechless. <laughs> yeah. I, have, I have no comeback like, I for had that. no idea where this was going, right. so I have nothing to offer no. to <laughs> I do understand, though. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your understanding. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for this episode of Living Stones. You can follow Red Mountain Community Church at MyRedMTN on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also go online to rmcchurch.org slash podcast to submit responses to our poll questions and leave questions for the guests featured on the next show. On our next episode, we'll be talking with Michael Tantone, and he's going to talk about how God redeems uh, the broken parts of our past. And he may also have to correct my pronunciation of his name. I don't know if it's tan, Tanton, Tantone, Tantoni, tan, 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 tan. You can go online to rmcchurch.org slash podcast to submit your question for Michael, and you may just hear it read on the next episode. In the meantime, oh, and I, I, I keep forgetting to prep our pastors for this. Let's see if you know what to do. Okay. In the meantime, I'm Peter Franson. And I'm Becky Bebelheimer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Sunday. <laughs>